Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12, we continue our series uh, where we started with the devil's dirty delights, the socially acceptable sins, the ones that we look at and say, ah, those aren't quite as bad. Uh, and, and now we go to the Savior's sweet substitutes. Because everything that the devil has to offer, Christ offers you something even greater than that. And we find uh, where we'll pick up where we left off in verse number 12 of Colossians chapter 3. The Bible has instructed us to take off certain things, and these things included anger and wrath, a malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, uh, uh, lying one to another. We're to take those things off, get rid of them. We would constantly battle them. We would constantly deal with them, but we are to remove them from our life. And then we are to put on certain things. And these are the substitutes that Christ offers us. We are, in verse number 12, to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. We talked about that last week. Deep, tender compassion for people. Caring about them like our Savior cared about people while He was on this earth. Kindness. And as Gandhi himself stated, my religion is kindness, or my religion is simple, kindness is my religion. And while I don't necessarily adhere to all of Gandhi's beliefs, I believe what he said is true. We just ought to be kind to people. And I believe if any religion ought to be associated with kindness, it's the one who saw more kindness than any other's ever seen when our God veiled Himself in the form of flesh and took our sin from us and hung on a cruel cross. That was kindness. And so I hope that maybe you're learning something. Now this week we move on. And I just want to ask you before we get started, how many of you feel in the time where you're put under a little pressure from somebody, maybe you're thrust into a situation you weren't comfortable with, or, or maybe somebody uh, kind of struck you first, how many of you would feel like you always handle yourself well in those situations? I mean, man, I've got those down. When I'm put under a little pressure, when somebody says something bad about me, when somebody does something wrong to me, uh, I've pretty much mastered that. Anybody in the room? Okay, okay, good, because I didn't think so. So we can all agree that this message tonight can be applicable to your life. So we'll start in verse number 13, or verse number 12. Uh, we are to have vows of mercy, kindness. Thirdly, humbleness of mind. If there is one topic that every preacher ought to feel totally unqualified to preach on, it has to be the topic of humility. Because the preacher that walks into the, uh, uh, a church one day and says, boy, I really feel like I've got a good message on humility, I don't think he's actually that qualified to preach on humility. Humility is one of those things that the moment you think you got it is the moment that you lost it. Humility is such a difficult thing for us as Christians to grasp, and yet what we oftentimes have a hard time spotting humility while its counterpart, pride, is obvious, very, uh, or quite often very obvious. It's easy to see someone that's oozing with pride, is it not? Oh, I've got this, I can do this, I am this. Uh, but the humble person never says it. And you may think that that person just doesn't have much to boast about. But truly, humility is a very difficult thing for us to learn. Harry Ironside one day felt convicted 
about his level of humility. He felt as if it was starting to seep more into pride. And so he, he mentioned this, and one of his church members approached him and said, what you need to do is you need to post on yourself two pieces of cardboard, one on the front and one on the back. And you need to walk around town with verses of Scripture on that uh, uh, board there. So Harry Ironside thought that that was a pretty good idea. He felt like that would get him to the point where he would feel a little bit humble. And he did that, and he had returned to his office, and the, mind went across, uh, the thought went across his mind, and he said, I wonder how many other people would walk through town with a sign of Scripture on their, uh, on their body. You see, the moment we think we are humble, we are not. But I want to teach you some things about humility from the Word of God. Humility, or humbleness of mind, is true lowliness of mind. Not one of those mocking types, you know, one of the ones that exudes or puts on like they're humble, but somebody who's truly humble. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here in verse number 12. It's a humbleness of mind. So where does humility start? Not in your heart. Humility is first started in your mind. Its origin comes from your mind. And, and your mind often can get puffed up, doesn't it? Does it not? You look at somebody and you say, well, I do better than them, or I can say that better than them, or I can sing that better than them, or I am better than them. And our mind has these thoughts, and we are at that point venturing into pride. But the Bible says that humility, its origin starts in the mind. I want you to take your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll learn something about humility tonight. It is, a, it is conceived in the mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 says this. Everybody there? Say amen if you're there with me tonight. Alright. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this, what's the next word there? Mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but... I want to look more like Jesus. I want to act more like Jesus. He is my example on how to walk through this life. I want to be like Jesus. Years ago, uh, Nike ran a, uh, a campaign that was, I want to be like Mike. And so many kids around the nation, they wanted to be like Mike. They wanted to shoot like Mike. And they wanted to look like Mike. They wanted to wear Mike's shoes. And they wanted to drink Mike's drink. And they wanted to wear a Nike check like Mike. But I tell you, I don't care too much to look like some of these modern day athletes or these modern day stars. I want to look like Jesus. So when the Bible tells me, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, my, my, my eyes are drawn to it. And my heart becomes convicted because I want to be like Jesus. So what is the mind of Christ? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, notice, He did not make Himself not God, because He was God. And to steal from the attribute of who He truly was would not be true humility, that would be a mockery of humility. It was not robbery to be equal with God, because truly Jesus was God, correct? Go on there but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men 
And being found in fashion as a man, he, what's the next word there? Humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now why is it important for the Bible to say, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? It's because humility is not thinking that you are not somebody. Humility is accurately assessing who you are. Let me say that again. Humility is accurately assessing who you are. Was Jesus God? Yes, He was. So it would have been a lie for Him to act any other way. Humility, or true humility, is to make an accurate assessment of oneself. And we, if we are to have the mind of Christ, we are to be humble. I believe Christ came to this earth to show us what true humility looked like. He was way up here, and yet He made Himself way down here so He could relate to us and He could speak to us and help us. True humility is not saying, well, I just, I, I'm not a very good person, or true humility is not, well, there's no way I could ever do anything for God. No, that is a lack of faith. Amen. See, I hear people all the time, well, there's no way I could sing in the choir. God just has not given me that type of talent. No, what that is, that is not humility. That is a lack of faith that God can use you to accomplish a great means. Uh, David, not going down to fight Goliath, would not have been humility if he said, well, yeah, I am just a little boy. That would have been a lack of faith, like all the other men in Israel had. But David looked and realized, you know, I'm really no match for the giant. I, I can't take him in a hand-to-hand combat. I probably couldn't take him with a, a sword. I, I've not proven Saul's weaponry, so I can't by myself, but I don't go to him in my own power, for I am fighting for the God of Israel. And it was because David accurately understood who he was and totally depended upon God so that his humility was made strong in the hand of God. What we oftentimes do is we don't accurately assess ourselves in the light of God's word. We have to have an honest, uh, we have to be honest in our personal assessment of us. Romans chapter 12 even reinforces this concept. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly, notice this, than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And that word also means properly. To put into a proper context who we are, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I don't believe it honors God for somebody to say, well, I'm a much better teacher than the other person. That doesn't honor God. That's puffing yourself up. That is the child of pride. Words like that. I think I can do that better. No, that's pride. But understanding that you have a gift to teach is not pride. If God has given you a talent, utilizing that talent to glorify Him and not yourself, that's not pride. That is the concept of humility. It's saying, God, I, you have, by your grace, given me a singing voice. So I will stand when you give me the opportunity, and I will worship you, and I will praise you. And Lord, I hope that through me you may use a song to bless somebody. Amen. That is humility. Standing up and acting like you can't sing isn't humility. That's a mockery of humility. We have to be honest in our assessment of who we are in the light of God's Word. 
The Bible says in Jeremiah 9, verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. It doesn't say, Let not the wise man act like he is wise. For there are a lot of people in this church who have wisdom. That doesn't mean you keep your mouth shut when something needs to be said. That doesn't mean that you're just off in your little corner and when somebody seeks out your opinion, then you'll give them the answer. No, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. They all have these things, but the Bible goes on to say, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he, the man understandeth and knoweth me, that's the Lord, and that I am the Lord which execute loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. He's not saying, let the rich man act like he's poor. You ever known somebody with money that always poor mouths? Well, I hope you buy my lunch today. That's not humility. That's just a cheapskate, right? (laughs) All right. Knowing who we are in the light of God's Word, and this will help you understand who you are in God's Word, is to remove Christ from your life and try to get an idea of who you would be without Him. That's when you really begin to understand accurately who you'd be. There's a chance some of us would have broken homes. There's a chance that some of us would... uh, not be faithful to our wives apart from Christ. There's a chance that we would find ourselves tonight not in church, but huddled around some bar stool waiting for the next country singer to stand up on stage. Because that's where we would be without Christ. So true humility is not, oh, well, I have arrived, I've, I've become something. True humility is understanding that God has done a marvelous work in your life, and because of God, you have cleaned up, brushed up, smelled better. That's what it is. It's not to say, oh, well, I'm just nobody for God's glory. It is to say, I have become somebody because of who He is and what He's done in my life. And the moment we start to look at other people and say, well, I I was able to do this, why can't you do that? Well, that's pride. That's not humility. When we start to say, hey, my friend, God did this for me, and He can do the same for you, that's humility. We have to understand who we are in the light of God's Word. Remember this verse always applied to you before you met Christ, okay? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Remember this verse also applied to you. There is none righteous... No, not one. You know what that word is means there? That means present tense. That doesn't mean that there was none none righteous. That means even after you met Christ, you still could not meet some level of pleasing God with your life apart from Jesus in your life. It's accurately understanding who we are within the confines of God's Word. I'm always amazed to see the progression of men's life in the Bible. And there is nobody, save maybe Moses, that I enjoy reading about the progression in his life more than the Apostle Paul. And I want to share with you how his concept of himself changed over the course of his ministry. 
In 57 AD, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Most people would, uh, most Bible scholars believe it was around that time. In 57 AD, so all understand 57 AD, he wrote these words. For I am the least of the apostles. Well, that's a humble statement, Paul. Because you are an apostle, and to say that you're under them, man, that's, that's real humility. And he wrote that in 57 AD. Just a few short years later, in 62 AD, so five years have passed now, Paul writes these words. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Well, five years ago, he was the least of all the apostles. Kind of like a, that's kind of an up-to-dewy crowd, right? The apostles, them guys got it going on. God's doing great things in their life. And then Paul says, I am, I mean, those guys are pretty awesome. I'm just a little bit under them. Now, five years later, he says, I am below the least of all the saints. You notice the progression there? And then just a few short laters in, uh, years later in 65 AD, so now five years have passed since he went from being the least of the apostles to the least of all the saints. Now three years has passed to 65 AD, and he says these words, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world uh, uh, to save sinners. You know what the next words are? Of whom I am chief. Do y'all notice the progression to his ministry there? Here's the truth. Uh, understanding who you are in the light of God's Word is true humility. But what I've noticed is the closer a person comes to the Lord, and, and the more they draw and spend time in His Word, the less they are impressed with themselves. <laughs> Just uh, eight years earlier, Paul, I'm the least of the apostles. And now that he's written the Word of God and he's seen what God's done through his ministry, if anybody had reason to boast, it was Paul, right? He was the guy who was starting all these churches, seeing all these people saved. If anybody, and even Paul says that, if anybody could glory, it would be me, a, a Hebrew of the, uh, a Hebrews a, a circumcised the eighth day. If anybody had any reason to glory... It would be me, trained at the feet of some of the best scholars of the day. If anybody had anything to glory about, it would be me. And then he goes on to say, but I realize in my life, as I get to know Jesus a little bit more, I am the chiefest of sinners. And apart from Christ being in his life, Paul would have still been the same old wretched man that he was. But glory to God, he didn't stay that very long. Look, accurately assessing who you are according to God's Word is true humility. Uh, Self-degradation. You ever said somebody to somebody, they say, yeah, well, that's the only time, or yeah, I couldn't do it again if I tried. That's self-degradation. That's not humility. That's a show of humility. Self-degradation is folly. Being able to say, well, glory to God, I'm glad He used me in some way. That is humility. You know, when people come up to me and say, Brother Andrew, what a sermon, which is getting more and more rare these days, I've noticed. So, I remember the first few sermons I preached at, oh, Brother Andrew, you do a good job. Now, Brother Andrew went long tonight, amen? (laughs) i tell you what, I'm thankful for it, though, because when they come up to me, you know what I say? Praise the Lord. You know, amen. I'm just glad that 
For some reason, he used this old, red-headed, weird-talking, voice-squeaking dude to accomplish something in your heart. Praise God for that. I'm not saying I'm humble, but I'm saying that we, us saying, well, you know, I, I, I probably couldn't do it again if I tried. That's not humility. Understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, that is humility. Understanding that you would be nothing apart from Christ in your life, that is humility. So we must have an honest, uh, we must be honest in our personal assessment of ourselves. And secondly, we must be helpful in our perception of others. Humility in a very real sense, is understanding who you are and extending to others the grace that you so often give to yourself. Right? When we cut somebody off on I-35, we say, Ooh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And then when somebody does it to us, we, we cuss them out. Right? That's not humility. Humility is understanding that we all make mistakes. And humility is under, extending the same grace that you so freely Give to yourself. Luke chapter 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each man esteem uh, uh, others better than themselves. It's saying, hey, look, I, I, I certainly have a long way to go, and, and, and you don't say this out loud. You don't go to preacher. Preacher, <laughs> I've messed up at work too, so brother, we're praying for you. That's not, that's not humility. But humility is understanding that not all the time are people going to be great. And it's understanding that nobody has apprehended or attained some level of perfection that others have not. If you've got a perfect friend, I don't want to be around them because I don't want to feel bad about myself, okay? Look, humility is just saying... Man, I know I have a long way to go, and, and I'll extend them a little grace as well, and, and, and hopefully they'll learn from this. This week at youth camp, there was a little uh, confrontation and conflict between um, the youth workers and one of the staff guys there at camp. And, and uh, one of the staff guys got real bossy and snappy with Brother Luke, and so Brother Luke just karate chopped him in the throat, and it was done. It was awesome. Um, no, but there was a little confrontation and something that was supposed to happen. They changed all of a sudden and, and it kind of affected our group. And, and they were a little upset by it. And Brother Luke just approached the guy and he said, I, I just want you to know, I understand that you made a mistake. And it's okay. We're not upset by it. We're good. You know what? That, that's humility. It's not saying, well, I can't believe I would never do that. No, it's saying, look, people have to have room to grow. And parents, let that be a lesson for us, right? Our kids aren't always going to do the right thing. And what we do in those moments are lessons of growth. Did you know that one time I spent $800 on a cell phone bill talking to my future wife? Uh, kids aren't always going to do the smartest thing. Maybe instead of acting like we as parents were perfect when we were teenagers, yeah, I was out milking the cow at three in the morning, every morning. My dad just, I woke my dad up sometimes. <laughs> instead of acting like we didn't ever mess up, maybe we could extend a little grace and use those moments as teaching times and, 
And use those moments as not times to beat them down as kids, but use them as times of instruction and say, hey, you know what? I was dumb once too. You'll grow out of it, hopefully. We're praying anyway. Yeah, it just, just might be a good idea. I recall when Jesus went to the well there in Samaria. He said, we must needs go through Samaria. He passed there. He knew what was going to happen. In fact, all of His disciples were out getting food. It was just Him, and there came a woman to that well. If anybody knew what was going on in that woman's life, it was Jesus. Uh, You know, she comes up, and Jesus says, "Uh, I need something to drink. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, were speaking to me, a Samaritan woman, uh, a woman of Samaria? You see, Jews were not allowed to speak to Samaritans. And yet Jesus was. It surprised her. It caught her off guard. Not only that, but Jesus being what many believed was a rabbi or a, a, a teacher, uh, many would have looked at him and said, what are you doing hanging around with a woman like that? Even if she was a Jew, that's a filthy woman. Jesus uh, was in a pretty uh, 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 questionable place at the time, if, if, you give, if you would agree with me. And, and all these things are going on. And that Jesus starts up a conversation, and I believe with my whole heart that the entire reason Jesus went to Samaria was for that woman. Was to see her there that day, and he says, uh, uh, she says, what, what can I do to get this water that you speak of, the water that I'll, I'll, I'll never need to thirst again? What can I do? And Jesus says this, well, go and get your husband, and I'll tell you. And the woman's eyes dropped. She says, well, I... I don't really have a husband. And Jesus, being Jesus, He says, Thou hast rightly said. See, the one you're with is not your husband now, and I know about the the others. And yet it just amazes me that the whole time Jesus knew of all of this, and yet He still approached her. And He still extended her grace. How often do we look at people and we say, oh, well, they would never hear the gospel. Jesus went out of His way to reach the most unlikely candidates with the gospel. That's humility. Extending grace to others when they aren't always on their game. So we have to have an honest, we have to be honest in our personal assessment. We have to be helpful in our perception of others. So, There's humility. Hopefully, we all know what humility is now, and hopefully we're all going to be humble from now on. I know I will be. Um, (laughs) Verse number 12, back in uh, Colossians. For the radio and for the live stream, that was a joke. Uh, You couldn't see my face there, but that was not meant uh, seriously. Uh, uh, But back in verse number 12 of Colossians chapter 3, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, and meekness. Would anybody like to stand up and give me the difference between uh, humility and meekness? Would anybody like to just kind of volunteer that information? Yeah, me either. It's tough. In fact, even before I began to study, I looked at my wife, I'm like, I've got to go home and figure out what the difference between humility and meekness is. But did you know there is a, a, a difference See, humility is like anger was an attitude. You see, anger was a constant habitual attitude. So is humility. Humility is something that you constantly live with, constantly abide with. But meekness is the production of humility, 
like wrath is the production of anger. Is everybody with me there? You see, remember when we studied our devil's dirty delights, anger was people that walk around, well, I'm just, I'm always angry. And then when somebody set them off, right, when they got cut off or they did something that offended them, then their anger boiled over into what? Can everybody help me? What was it? Anger to wrath. That's exactly right. Now, as if the Bible was written practically, humility is an attitude and meekness is the action. Huh. You can never know if somebody's humble or not. You will never know it. I mean, Brother Kevin looks humble, but I don't know. He could be thinking, man, I've got it going on. I look good in this shirt. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt that's what you're thinking, but... <laughs> Because if you are, you were way wrong. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. See, you'll never be able to accurately uh, uh, know if somebody... You know, I've known people who I would assume is humble, but humbleness is where? Where do we just learn humility is? In the mind. And I don't know what's going on in your mind, and I'll never know what's going on in your mind. Praise the Lord for that truth of the Bible. But humility is captured in your mind but meekness is displayed. Right? They work in tandem. Like the angry man walks around and then boils over and says, I tell you, Kevin! You know, that's anger to wrath. Humility is, okay, I understand they probably didn't mean that like that. And even if they did, there was probably some level of truth to it. You know, I've noticed not all critics are wrong. There's about 5 to 10% of truth in every criticism. And what we want to do is we say, no, that, no, I can't believe it. Well, if we would just look a little deeper, maybe they aren't so far off. So humility is, apart from Jesus Christ in my life, I'm not perfect. Hey, I, I make mistakes. And humility is saying, hey, if they did something to me, I, I can understand that. And so how you react to those times is meekness. And I've heard this before, and I really, to be honest with you, didn't understand what it meant until here recently. Meekness is not weakness. Right? Just because you don't lash out doesn't mean that you're not capable of it. I have always loved to argue. And you can ask my mother. Uh, She hates it. She said that I missed my calling as an attorney. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure I would enjoy all that, but I do not mind getting into a verbal dispute with people. Because the Lord has somewhat gifted me with the ability to think of words, and I think the reason He did that was so that I could stand and preach and I could think of things, but sometimes I use that gift in a negative connotation. And I maybe spill it over into some arguments and may not always be the best. I mean, if any of my teachers from Joshua Christian Academy in here, they could probably stand and testify for hours of how many times this got me in trouble. Well, did you tell me to be quiet or because I didn't hear it? I mean, you know, I could probably sit and dispute with a lot of people. Um, But you see, we get ourselves in trouble sometimes when we... We began to think, oh yeah, I, I know how to fix this. I, I can speak out. I can lash out. I am capable of defending myself. But true meekness is understanding what you could do and having the humility not to do it. Right When somebody criticizes you, 
You don't always have to defend yourself. Christ didn't. I mean, Christ was who He was. Uh, uh, he was the Messiah. He was God. He, he never did anything wrong. And yet, at His trial, people were saying, yeah, we caught Him doing stuff wrong. Did not defend Himself. The Bible says, as a sheep before His shearer is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. <laughs> Pilate standing there, you need to defend yourself, Jesus. I mean, this is the time you need to speak up because I have power to send you to the cross and I have power to put you there and release you. I have all power. And Jesus says, I'm sorry to inform you, sir, but you don't have any power. <laughs> Unless I gave it to you, you don't have any power. And while Pilate's almost begging for him to defend himself, in the face of all this criticism, Jesus was so humble and meek, He didn't. Did you know that this same word meekness in the Greek is the same word used to uh, describe a wild animal who has been tamed? Did you know that? It's like someone who is able to go out and take a, a lion big and strong and capable of ripping a man in shreds, and then a man being able to tame that lion to the point where the man can now control the lion. Let me ask you a question. Could the lion still attack the man? Absolutely. And the man would stand little chance of survival. But the lion has learned to be tame, or the same word, meek enough, where he doesn't act out upon his abilities. You may be the best Facebook defender of everything in the world. I mean, I know some people that can defend and criticize on Facebook. They say, well, I can't believe you do this. I can't believe you go there. Did you know that every thought that comes to your mind, you don't have to post on social media? Did you know that? And true meekness may be seeing something on social media that breaks your heart and saying, I can't believe my brother's doing that. I can't believe they're there. I can't believe they checked in there. I can't believe they took a picture like that. But meek people don't go to their comment bar and go on the attack. Just because you can form your sentences when you have 25 minutes to think of it doesn't mean you should. Oh, meekness is having the ability to attack, having the ability to step out and say, well, I just... But not doing it because you have a humble mind. Boy, there's a, that's a big lesson for us, and I hope that helped you, because that helped me a lot, and I hope it will be applied to my life. Humility is the attitude, and meekness is the action. I want you to also see this now. We're done. Long-suffering. Verse number 12 says, uh, kind, uh, we'll go bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Long-suffering is the counter-opposite to malice. It is almost as if the writer sat down and co uh, contrasted and compared these terms. You see, the way it works is, anger is the opposite of Humility, because they are uh, attitudes. And wrath 
is the child of anger, and it is the opposite of uh, uh, meekness, because that is the action that is displayed from the attitude of humility. Now long-suffering is the production of someone who is meek, and at the point and chance where they had the opportunity to boil over, they did not. And long-suffering is the reaction as we are constantly provoked. How many of you remember what malice was? Malice was a turning towards an ill will towards someone. In other words, it's like Tracy saying something to me. And it offends me. And I, I go up to Tracy and I say, Tracy, I didn't appreciate that. I, I think if anybody's bald, you are. You know, I, I, not, not necessarily you. Not, not necessarily you. <laughs> yeah, he's a big fella. He'd probably take me. But, okay, so now he's probably actually the one that's going to have to play the meek part, to be honest with you. But, okay, so him saying something to me offends me. And then I have the, the anger attitude that turns into a, 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 a wrath that then turns into malice. Because now I think, I don't want Tracy to get a promotion. I, I don't want Tracy to have good success. I mean, he's, he's mean towards me. I, I'm not Tracy's friend. And that's in malice because we get an ill will towards the person. What is long-suffering? It's being provoked and delaying reacting to those provocations. See, malice is something that happens over a long period of time and never goes away. What is long-suffering? It's the same. It's something that is constantly provoked and constantly uh, 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 poked, and yet it's saying, you know what? I'll give them another chance. The English Standard Version of the Bible changes this word, long-suffering, to patience. So it says, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. That's the English Standard Version of it. First of all, it takes a lot of the pepper out of the verse, if you ask me. There's a big difference between patience and long-suffering. Here's the difference. When you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles to renew your license, you have to be patient. Because every time I go in there, uh, there seems to be a trucker school just starting up. You ever notice that? 330 guys just had to get their trucker's license that day. And there I am in the back of the line. And uh, I'm waiting on Doris there to get me fixed up. And uh, there I am waiting. Right? And I don't, I don't talk to anybody. I'm just there. I just got business to do with Doris. She needs to get me in, get me, in, get me out. And after she deals with all these other guys, I'll, I'll be there. And so, what do I do? Wait. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. We all get it, right? Okay, so I was being patient. Okay? Long-suffering means that we are to be long-tempered. It would be similar to this me going to the same Department of Motor Vehicles and uh, having some child poke me in the back the whole time. Okay, so I'm patient when I'm all by myself. See, the difference is I'm being constantly provoked, one of them. 
Somebody's constantly poking me. Somebody's constantly acting upon me. And what do I want to do? You little brat! If your daddy wasn't so big, I'd take you to the bathroom and spank you myself. Right? That's what I want to do. But patience, when I'm not provoked, that's no big deal. Anybody can wait. And the idea is that God's just up in heaven waiting on people to get right. No, God is long-suffering, meaning every time somebody does something against Him, He suffers for it. It hurts Him. God is not long-suffering to us uh, because He's up in heaven. Well, well, I hope that they can just get right. No, God is long-suffering to men that every time He sees them do an evil deed and every time He sees them do something wicked, that sin had to be paid for on the cross of Calvary. And that sin is taken from that man and placed upon uh, uh, Jesus Christ. He is long-suffering because every act provokes His anger and yet He is long-suffering in that He does not act out. Right? There's a big difference between patience and long-suffering. What long-suffering is when somebody in the church, you say, well, I feel like they're out to get me. Long-suffering is having the humility and the meekness to be the bigger person because of who your God is and what He's able to do in you. That is long-suffering. But Baptists especially are so short-tempered. Well, I just couldn't believe they said that about me. I can't believe they called my kid a brat. It was their kid that started it. Well, your kid was in on it. Look, I'm not here giving you any revelatory news. I'm just saying, the Bible is encouraging us this evening to take off those old clothes, the way we would normally act before we knew our God. And before we saw a wonderful compassion that was spilled out for us, before we saw Jesus spread His hands and say, I love you this much, before we saw that, it was okay to get angry. It was okay to get wrathful. It was okay to get malicious. It was okay to lie to each other. But now that we've seen Jesus high and lifted up, it's not okay anymore because He has done what we ought to do as His children. Oh, it's long-suffering. Humility is understanding who you are in the light of God's Word. Meekness is an attitude of not having to lash out, even though you're capable of it. And long-suffering is being able to be provoked over and over and looking like Jesus in the fact that you don't have to lash out.